I'm John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics, www.messianicapologetics.net. And I would like to welcome you to this episode of Messianic Insider. What is the key to the salvation of Israel? Before we get started, I have two brief announcements. Uh, The first one, last week we had our first Family Unfiltered episode of Messianic Insider. I hope many of you have watched or listened to it. We've had a great deal of positive feedback. We're going to try to do Family Unfiltered about every five to six weeks. We're already working on the next episode, so I'll keep you uh, posted on that. But on the whole, I think very well received, and it's going to be something which is able to uh, accomplish a great deal. Also, our ministry has just announced the bi-weekly release of Messianic Theology Explained, which I am shooting for as 10-minute videos discussing a particular matter of theology, doctrine, as succinctly as possible, and then referring you to additional materials or publications uh, where you can get more information. So for right now, uh, I would expect those to be released about every Tuesday and Thursday. But we very encouraged about that also with the new season we have upon ourselves in 2024. All right, so our subject matter today, this is a teaching I have had in the queue actually for a while. What is the key to the salvation of Israel? Right now, we see the world engaged in a major spiritual war against Israel, the Jewish people. If we rewind all the way back to October the 7th, 2023, this sustained conflict between Israel and Hamas, the explosion all over the world in anti-Semitism, certainly there has been Also an explosion of pro-Israel sentiment. Uh, Many evangelical Christians have expressed support, solidarity for the Jewish people, Israel. Not enough have expressed solidarity and support for Israel and the Jewish people. But certainly right now, God is trying to get our collective attention. And so for us as believers in Israel's Messiah, and those who are a part of the Messianic community of faith, I think it is proper that we review Paul's eschatology in Romans chapter 11. What are we supposed to be doing? If we are on a salvation historical trajectory of all Israel will be saved, then it is right and proper that we look at some of the major statements which compose who we are as Messianic people 
and Romans chapter 11. All right, so as I said in the first Messianic Theology Explained episode introducing that series, Messianic Insider is intended to be op-ed or sermonic. So a lot of what we're going to be going through today is in that sermonic category. If we were in a Bible study setting, we'd probably all be going around and reading certain sections of Romans chapter 11 and then commenting and reflecting upon it. That's what I'm going to be doing for you uh, as my version of choice. I will be reading Romans 11 from our ministry's Apostolic Scriptures Practical Messianic Edition, which is uh, based on the public domain, 1901, American Standard Version. Uh, this was originally assembled from different appendices in the Practical Messianic Commentary series. It's not going to be that too different than some of the main Christian versions out there, but there are some things I think you will take note of. We start with Romans 11, verses 11 and 12. Just to give you some background, we know that the Apostle Paul, in writing to the believers in Rome, which was a mixed group of people, mainly non-Jewish, but also Jewish as well. Some parts of his epistle focus more on the non-Jewish elements of the audience, others on the Jewish elements of the audience. We know Paul is very distraught over the wide-scale first-century Jewish rejection of Yeshua as Israel's Messiah, yet that is hardly universal because Paul himself and many others were Jewish believers but he is warning the non-Jewish believers about their attitudes, and he's trying to get them to perform the right actions in response to the wide-scale Jewish dismissal of Yeshua. And as we will see, Paul's message is something which has scarcely been heeded in the almost two millennia since. Romans 11, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, I say then, did they stumble so as to fall? May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the nations to make them jealous, possibly referring to Deuteronomy 32, 21. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the nations, how much more will their fullness be. So Paul is here making the strong assertion that his fellow Jewish kinsfolk have not stumbled over Yeshua so as to permanently fall or permanently be dismissed. Rather, the salvation of Israel's Messiah has gone out to the nations, and the nations have the specific mandate to make Israel proper jealous for Messiah faith. The message of Israel's Messiah went out to the world at large, to people who at best were indirectly promised Israel's Messiah. So by experiencing the blessings and redemption from sin, peace, joy, a transformed life in Israel's Messiah— 
Those from the nations are to provoke Israel proper to jealousy. They're supposed to provoke the people to whom the Messiah was directly promised to jealousy to want what they have. And Paul makes the observation, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the nations, speaking of his fellow Jews here, how much more will their fullness be? Speaking of when Paul's fellow Jewish people embrace the salvation, the redemption, the shalom, the transformation in their Messiah, there will be a great fullness present. Romans eleven thirteen through 16. But I am speaking to you, the nations, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of nations, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy those who are my own flesh and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also, and if the root be holy, the branches are also. Probably alluding to Numbers 15, 17 through 21, Ezekiel 44, 30, Nehemiah 10, 37. So briefly continuing here, Paul recognizes that if the wide-scale Jewish rejection of Yeshua as Israel's Messiah means the reconciliation of the world, what will happen when they finally receive him? It will be life from the dead. That is how serious it will be. Romans 11, 17 through 22. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Now, throughout a great deal of uh, today's Messianic community, you hear how non-Jewish believers are wild olive branches grafted into the olive tree. Okay, but far too frequently, some of the wider issues which are discussed here in Romans 11 are not kept in mind. It's wonderful for non-Jewish believers wild olive branches grafted into the olive tree, Israel experiencing the blessings of Israel's Messiah, Israel's scriptures, salvation, the knowledge of Israel's God, etc. But this is given in the context of a severe warning. 
Paul talks about how natural branches, his fellow Jewish people, had to be broken off or they had to be pruned from the tree in order to make room for these wild branches. And it's God's intention to see those natural branches regrafted into the tree. And as Paul warns, have fear because if God is willing to prune his tree of natural branches, he will prune his tree of branches which have been grafted in. So as wonderful as it may be to be grafted in, for many of you, there is a severe warning attached to it. Verse 21, let me read this again. For if God did not spare natural branches, neither will he spare you. And this is where Paul, at least for the first century, was warning against a great deal of the common anti-Semitism present in the Roman Empire, where Greeks and Romans commonly looked at Jewish people as being unenlightened, primitive. They had a code of conduct, a code of ethics, which was contrary to that practiced by them. So, you know, they worshipped a God who couldn't be seen. They did things like they took a day of rest every week. Are they lazy? They didn't participate in all of the, you know, sexual things that Greeks and Romans commonly participated in. The Jews were generally looked down upon. And if you were a Greek or Roman believer in Israel's Messiah, and yes, you were within the sphere of influence of the Jewish community, etc. But if you saw yourself receive Israel's Messiah and the Jewish community as a whole dismiss him, it would be very easy to revert back to some of those anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic uh, stereotypes. And so Paul is very clear. You might be grafted in as a wild olive branch, but if God can break off, if he can prune natural branches, he can and then regraft them back in, he can just as easily break off branches, wild branches, uh, which have been grafted in. So grafted in is something which comes with some significant warnings, which we don't often probe enough uh, within today's messianic experience. Romans 11, verses 23 and 24. And they also, Paul referring to his fellow Jews, the natural branches, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from that which is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And indeed, the whole point when you see a wide-scale Jewish dismissal of Israel's Messiah, who was directly promised to them, rather than being arrogant, conceited, whatever it may be, you are to be moved to, I want to see, we need to see those natural branches which have been pruned off, grafted back in. God is can very easily do so according to the words of Paul. Now, this is where we get into 
the salvation historical trajectory at work. Because Romans 11, 25 through 27 are some very loaded words, and we've all heard them at one point or another in our messianic experience. And we all believe that history has been set on a trajectory which is leading to this point. Paul says, For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the nations has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And this is quoting or alluding to Isaiah 59, 20 through 21, Septuagint. Isaiah 27, 9, Septuagint. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. And possibly also Psalm 14, 7. Now, what does all this mean and what does all this involve? There is a partial hardening on Israel proper, the natural branches, today's Jewish people, until the fullness of the nations has come in. Now, what is the fullness of the nations? Many of our Calvinist brothers and sisters out there, they think that fullness of the nations or fullness of the Gentiles, and you'll see this in a number of Bible versions, is the full number of the Gentiles who have been predestined to salvation. And so when the full number of the Gentiles who have been predestined to salvation, when we reach that tally point, then we're going to be at the point of seeing all Israel will be saved. I remember having to write a paper in seminary all the way back in 2008 on this passage, and I took the position that pleroma, or fullness, was not quantitative, but instead was qualitative, based on how it is used previously in Romans 11:12. Let me read that for you again. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the nations, how much more will their fullness be? And that is a qualitative fullness speaking about the mass salvation of the Jewish people in the last days. That's what most people in today's Messianic community, I believe, rightly affirm. So my premise was, well, what if fullness of the nation's Gentiles rather than being quantitative, as is commonly assumed by many Calvinist examiners, what if it is qualitative? And it, is there anything in the text here which could lead us to that conclusion? Now, it needs to be observed, and uh, we have a Messianic Theology Explained uh, index card with what does all Israel saved mean? So we'll go into this in, in much greater detail later. But to briefly summarize, all Israel will be saved. While I do believe it involves a mass number of Jewish people coming to salvation, redemption in Yeshua, 
It involves also repacking, excuse me, unpacking, not repacking, unpacking the Tanakh quotes offered here. Isaiah 59, 20 to 21, Isaiah 27, 9, Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34, also Psalm 14, 7, and then seeing what those prophecies are also connected to. Ultimately, we see all Israel will be saved as, yes, involving a major salvation of Jewish people, but then culminating in the return of Yeshua himself and the reestablishment of the kingdom with him sitting on David's throne. So all Israel will be saved ultimately involves the return of Yeshua and the answer to the disciples' question in Acts 1-6. Lord, is, is, it, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Romans 11, 28 to 32. As regards the good news, and Paul is mainly speaking to non-Jewish believers in Rome here, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the patriarchs. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So Israel proper has something associated with it going back to the Lord's original promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have a vocation to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, which can never be taken away from them. So they are always to be honored. They are always, whether they believe or not, to be shown respect, according to the words of Paul here. Verse 30. For just as you, speaking to the non-Jewish believers in Rome, were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy by their disobedience because of a wide-scale first-century Jewish dismissal of Yeshua as Messiah. The message has been going out to the nations. Verse 31, So these also now have been disobedient so that by your mercy, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. And so as I was looking for a clue in Romans 11, back in 2008, if fullness of the nation's Gentiles is qualitative, play Roma, it exhibits the fullness of what God's people are to be in him, in Messiah, in the good news. And guess what? So that by your mercy, they may now be shown mercy. Because of a wide-scale Jewish dismissal of Yeshua as Israel's Messiah, people from the nations have now been shown mercy. And what are they to do in return? Show arrogance, hatred, rejection, anti-Semitic behavior, persecution to the Jewish people? Absolutely not. Because of the mercy shown to you, they may be shown mercy. And so what does that mean? When looking at fullness of the nations as qualitative, it means that 
believers from the nations, non-Jewish believers, especially in a time like now, especially those who are a part of today's Messianic community, they are to be great beacons of God's grace, mercy, love. They are to represent Yeshua to a Jewish people, a Jewish community, which has largely not been able to see him. I believe the key, the linchpin to see all these other things take place, that emergence on the scene of the fullness of the nations, a group of non-Jewish believers as great vessels of God's grace and mercy to his Jewish people has to take place. And we actually see some of it taking place in today's Messianic community with Jewish and non-Jewish people joining together as one new man, one new humanity, repenting of past sins, past mistakes, trying to be corrected where they need to be corrected and understanding the Jewish struggle throughout history, recognizing anti-Semitic behaviors, asking for forgiveness, and being committed to that all Israel will be saved trajectory where we pray that Paul's own flesh and blood, his fellow kinfolk, recognize Yeshua as their Messiah, as their Redeemer, and we can see the Messiah return in his glory, and we can see those things which are mentioned from the Tanakh, specified in Romans 11, uh, begin to take place, because that is a huge call, a huge uh, burden, which needs to be in process in order to see all of the world's wrongs righted. Unless we are committed to that trajectory, all the problems taking place today in the world, whether it involves persecution of Jews, anti-Semitism, persecution of believers, whatever it is, they will not be corrected. The key, I believe, to the salvation of Israel is non-Jewish believers being the fullness of the nations qualitatively as great vessels of God's grace, mercy, and love to a Jewish people who desperately, right now, need as many friends and as many allies as they can get. I sincerely hope you found this uh, teaching to be edifying, but also challenging. Uh, and indeed, uh, as we, as a family, as a ministry, enter into this new season in 2024, there are going to be many more teachings just like this one. As always, on behalf of Outreach Israel Ministries and Messianic Apologetics, I would like to sincerely thank you for your ongoing prayers, support, and donations for our ministry efforts. You are greatly appreciated. We'll see you again next time with another episode of Messianic Insider. Until then, God bless you, shalom, and take care.